This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody, this is Joshua Lewis with The Remnant Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in this week for our show. We're going to be discussing hell, uh, specifically conditionalism, which is a broad term. But we're going to we're going to have uh, uh, Jordan Sutton give us an introduction to this topic before we get too deep into it. Michael, how are you and how's your week been? Uh, great, man. Just got back from Aspen on Saturday. No, I was not vacationing, um, but I was hanging out with some friends uh, at Crossroads Church, which I'm pretty excited about getting to know and they're going to be helping me with a future church plant details to come later fun stuff fun stuff um yeah yeah that's it i didn't have anything else to say on that that's fine yeah it was exciting and he was constantly uh marco poloing us with uh videos of hey look where i'm running look (laughs) where i'm running yeah i did i did look at my scene and how physically fit i am that was great just (laughs) it wasn't about how physically fit no it was you know, you in Roundtree, you in Roundtree, both only me. Marco Polo when you guys are working out. You're like, oh, I'm on the treadmill, <laughs> I'm running. Got to make you know. Lord me with amazing body and a beautiful vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. We appreciate those. Thanks, yeah, I appreciate well, that. <laughs> it was nice to be out of the you know hundred degree heat. Oh no doubt, just like fantastic. Yeah, just get in the so, car and it bakes all day. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, Jordan, uh, I want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry before we dive into the topic. Yeah, so I uh, I pastor a church in the East Dallas, Mesquite, Garland area that's called Clearpath Church, and we have sort of a collection of house churches that also identify um, in a corporate gathering space, and uh, we're just you know living out community and trying to walk out the Jesus life together, and so yeah, that's kind of what I do. What's a good website for people to connect with you at? Oh yeah, they can go to clearpathdallas.com. We also have some writing stuff that we do. At yeah, you have a blog that's pretty life. Pretty current. You guys put new stuff up on there all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. We took a little break for the summer. We're about to be releasing a lot of new content, even video content. So, so yeah, we have some documentary stuff in the work, and we we, we kind of doing a lot of different things. And you know, I've I've taught at your church, and I still mm-hmm. don't even know the answer to this question. But why Clearpath? I didn't even think to. to no, I just out. you know we were praying about it, and you know just felt like the Lord put that name in our heart, and uh, you know I think that is something even in the subject of this, of today's discussion, like something that we're always looking for is, you know, what, you know, what's a clear path that God has for us. And so I think like, if there was anything that sort of unifies our group together, it's that all of us are really on a journey of knowing Jesus and having a deeper revelation. And that is the path that's very clear in your community. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that it's sometimes more like clearing a path than than a clear path. (laughs) But, But yeah, we're trying to, trying to, go that direction. Excellent. So. Um, as we dive into the topic, you were letting me know before the show that you kind of have three primary ways that people view hell and eternity. Uh, give us a quick introduction into some of that content uh, just to kind of frame those who are out there. They can maybe compartmentalize themselves into where they are uh, and what they view about other people who, who view different things. So yeah. Ahead. So I'll give three three views and focus on the one that I'm going to be espousing today, which is conditionalism. Uh, the first one um, that we that if you grew up in in church, uh, in evangelical church, or most churches really in, in the U.S. or the South specifically, uh, you would be viewing like the eternal conscious torment. And we'll call that, you know, for lack of better terms, the fire, you know, the fire that eternally torments. The, the second view, which, um, you know, that, that you commonly hear maybe more in some liberal circles, and it would be the view of universal reconciliation, which we'll call the fire that purifies. And um, real quick, I don't really believe that view. And I know that you guys don't really stand on that, but I want to just read a couple of scriptures real quick Mm -hmm. to just kind of give a basis for what those people believe. And there's a tendency to over-caricaturize or demonize that view, and I don't agree with it. But what they don't believe is that all ways are equal ways to God. They do believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior and you know, he's the only way to, to the Father. What they believe, though, is that virtual, that at some point 
everyone, everybody will come will, to believe. Everyone will be reconciled to him, whether that's in this life or after. And so they appeal to scriptures like Colossians 1, 19 through 20, uh, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, <clears throat> whether on things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Or like 1 John 2, 2, his atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. They take scriptures like that and say, this isn't just available, but but that he's actually made an atonement for everyone. And so that's sort of the fire that purifies and kind and, of a more of a purgatory sort of view that well i think that there are some people in the universal reconciliation camp that have a purgatorial view of that and some don't so just the the end is that everybody will be reconciled through christ and so that's not again the, you don't hold it we don't hold it but it's one of the three views that but is it has, predominant it has right been now. misrepresented and and it's misrepresentation is actually called relativism not yeah. universalism yeah, that and that and it's 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 fair because if we over caricaturize the 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 debates and the discussions we have, we tend to ostracize people. Sure. So so it's fair to call it for what it is. Um, the view that I'll be mainly focusing on tonight, uh, since the the traditional view is is fairly uh, substantiated, and by traditional, uh, I uh, Doctor Fudge would say traditional in that most churches right now would hold this as the traditional view. Um, so that's the. Conditionalism would be, I would say, the fire that consumes. And Rome, it, it's kind of easy to characterize it with a few verses. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes shall not perish, so they won't die, um, but they will have eternal life. And so what makes this view different, and I'll, and I'll just briefly highlight this, than just simply saying annihilationism, is that you know the conditionalists will look to all the scriptures and basically say that the narrative of scripture is one where you know God through Jesus promises life and wickedness will bring us to destruction or death, and that really it's in Jesus alone that we have eternal life. And so we're not going to be eternally tormented because we're not going to be able to even live forever. Right. And so let me let me open at the very beginning, Genesis 2. I'll start 16 through 17. And it says, And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from the, any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Um, so the, the, the curse there, not that you will be tormented forever, but that you will certainly die. And then jumping to Genesis 3, 22 through 24, it says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword, flashing back, back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So simply put, like... You know, God has removed from man, you know, eternal life, and that gift is found in, in Christ. And without Jesus, we don't we won't live on forever eternally, whether tormented or whether in heaven. If we if we aren't in Christ, we aren't going to have an eternal existence of any kind. And so can I can uh, I back up just a second and yeah. ask a question? So yeah. uh, conditionalism would not require that a person be an annihilationist. That's correct. But all annihilationists are conditionalists. I guess theoretically, I've not met one, but I guess theoretically you could believe that man was immortal and that God could annihilate them as well. So I guess theoretically you put, but generally speaking, initial uh, annihilationism is a subheading under, under, con conditionalism. under conditionalism. So And conditionalism can go two ways. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It could, yeah, can go annihilationism. Is there another way? Yeah, that's... like maybe that you would just cease to exist. Um, you know, just the fact that you aren't eternal means that at some point I, I, um, existence you're, you're ends not going to, yeah, existence going to end for you. So, so, so in summation, just make sure that we're on the same page. We have eternal conscious torment, which is what, um, most people in the West believe teach have been raised. And it's what we see on cartoons, you know, hell forever fire, and ever in hell stone and yeah, forever and ever in hell, the, the, the fire, 
yeah, isn't quenched and the worm never dies, that kind of thing. And we have the universal reconciliation where uh, it's this progressive view that at, at some point in time, how it happens, we're not quite sure, but eventually everyone is going to be reconciled to Christ. And then the third view, which we are going to call conditionalism uh, and is sometimes uh, mischaracterized as annihilationism. Yeah, well, yeah, just it, it's just a broader heading. I broader think heading, got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, so it's just saying how annihilationism, how, how annihilationism plays out. It plays out because we're not eternal and hell... It's not a place. It's obviously a place that exists, but the annihilationist position is uh, yeah that, that you'll be de- you'll be destroyed. Which I, I I do believe that personally believe that God will raise us up to a place to experience His judgment, and mm-hmm. that you know that that we'll receive that. And but I think that the overall narrative scripture, and I, I really would argue that there's hundreds, maybe even thousands of texts that sort of point to this idea that this way is a path of life and this way is a path to death or destruction. So there is absolutely a judgment in your mind and and any conditionalist would say as much. Well, I don't know that any conditionalist would say. I personally believe. One one more text to mention on this is 1 Timothy 6.16. I'll I'll mention this later, how the immortality of the soul came into the church in the first few centuries. But but 1 Timothy 6.16 says real, real plainly that God alone possesses immortality. And so that sort of just pulling that <clears throat> Excuse me, pulling that all together. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, Miller. While I grab him a water, uh, where would you where'd you place yourself on this, and why? Uh, gosh, you know, I I've I've probably been on the eternal conscious torment side of things, but I, when I say eternal, I don't even I don't know if I necessarily think of the imagery of hellfire and brimstone. I've I've usually had the C.S. Lewis approach, which is sort of the you, you read uh, uh, what's the one about the bus ride. Oh, the great divorce, mm-hmm. where where a guy takes bus ride to hell and heaven, and he says that uh, hell is a place uh, where the door is locked from the inside. In other words, people who are in hell want to be there. They they want a life apart from God, and that's exactly what they've been given over to. <clears throat> um, but I, I've seen it as an eternal place, not a a temporary place. Yeah. So I um, place myself in eternal conscious torment as well, more as default. Yeah, I'll, and I'll, for me, it's been 100%. default. I haven't. I haven't spent a great deal on i think everyone who comes to this conversation probably needs to or any conversation theologically we're all going to assume a lot of my upbringing a lot of my church background a lot of my discipleship is going to lean in a certain direction because i've always been taught this and i haven't because in some of these areas we have done critical scholarship and said man i've really studied i've really drilled into this and i'm sure i'm not a calvinist right Uh, but this can be one that many haven't even taught touched because it's just kind of accepted there's not a lot of conversation on, on lay levels that is happening here so we should all approach this and go man if you haven't done legitimate scholarship just say my, my my position i have is default i really need to study this more when and i think for the most part people you know i'd say in the last at least in our pop culture sure in the last 20 years the only uh um big challenge to the traditional view of hell has been universalism when you've got guys like um uh, rob bell, bell coming out and yeah. taking on that perspective and immediately getting demonized by john piper saying farewell rob bell and mm. And those kind of statements. I mean, that, that gets in the limelight. So you start asking those questions, universalism versus, uh, uh, I would just say, traditional view of hell. Okay, so... Um, but but this is different to me. This is new, and I, I, I'm i not as well versed on it, so... Yeah, so those of you who are watching, I want a, a couple announcements. Um, we do have a line that we asked you to call. It's 214-233-6292. 214-233-6292. Uh, and you can ask your questions on this subject. We'll be taking your calls just here in a moment. Go ahead and put that thing in, and I'll let you know when we're about to take calls. If you call right now, we'll probably put you on hold, and you'll just have to wait. Um, but but in, before we do that, we talked about preface, our background. Um, Jordan, if you would tell us a little bit, how did you come to this position? Uh, because as we were talking before, I think it'd be interesting to the listeners you weren't trying to rationalize hell away. You just kind of stumbled onto this. Yeah, I I was in a season personally where as a pastor, I was just kind of, uh, I've always been a curious person. And so I was just asking more questions than I usually do. And, and uh, just sort of in a period of wrestling through a lot of doctrine and, and different things that I had, um, had grown up with. And I'd encountered this lecture by... This, you know, I, I started actually researching. I heard about this term conditionalism and started researching. Well, who's the who are the people that espouse this really well? Mm-hmm. And so everything said, okay, this guy, Doctor Edward Fudge, who is a Church of Christ theologian, um, wrote a book called The Fire That Consumes. In the er, there it is in the early <laughs> in the early eighties, uh, and I was really fa- I was really fascinated by it. So I went and found like an hour lecture that he gave, and it was so. Um, 
I didn't expect it to be as compelling and, and convincing as it was. And the, what happened to me was I initially sort of like took it in and was trying to weigh it out carefully. But every single week I would come to a worship service, I would just weep because I thought, God, you're you're more good than I than I mm-hmm. realized you were. And probably about a month in, it was just overwhelming to me and I was trying to process it. And probably about a month in, I had this um, sort of major, I don't know, we existential crisis, whatever it is, where I, I kept reading rebuttals and trying to, I was trying to articulate a defense for this stance that I'd had my whole life. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was, it was extremely difficult for me and and actually, like the rebuttals were demoralizing me against conditionalism, and you, you wouldn't think that would be the case, but it was. I was. I felt like I was duped. Like I felt like how how has this been preached as this absolute thing that you have to believe first of all, and and the, this option wasn't presented, and so it, it really um, affected me. And so in that time, I reached out to Doctor Fudge. And became really close, you know, became friends with him. We would spend hours talking over Skype and, uh, you know, in a time where I was wrestling and probably could have become more unorthodox than I would have, he really helped ground me and helped walk me through the whole process. And so I'll say this, and I'm going to start sort of making a case for conditionalism in a moment, but I'll say this to those of you who are wrestlers like myself, one of the things that I would advise is that I took almost two years before I made any public statement about this about this changing view, because it's really important that we take these things really serious and slowly. So, like, if you if you hear my words tonight and it's somehow compelling to you, like, don't immediately agree with me. Don't you know? Don't just go jump bandwagon to bandwagon on doctrine things. Like, take these things slowly um, because they matter. They're 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 important. And so, so you're saying don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Yeah, yeah, you could say it like that. Excellent. Okay, yeah, yeah. That, make, that makes sense. That's good advice. I think I've heard that somewhere before. Show off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry I added a scripture to what he was saying. Yeah. I apologize. <laughs> that makes me a no, show I think, off I think guilty. A lot of, I think a lot of times, especially when we're taking on new views, we take on this stance of hyper-certainty. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of times certainty reveals is actually the insecurity and doubt that's beneath the surface. That's mm-hmm. good. And if we will have a posture of openness and questioning and humility and not this like hyper, like aggressive sense of certainty, what happens is instead of like presenting our opinions, we, we become discoverers of truth. Yeah. We said that with to Tracy last week, I, I had asked her a question. Um, and, and one of the things that I've acknowledged with all of the theological voices that we have in our life, I mean, just the more academically trained they are, the more frequently they're going to say, I don't know, yeah. or I'm not sure, or it may be this. Yeah, uh, and the much more kinder they are in their their presentation of information. It's not as, as this is the truth. I'm this always is. suspicious of that because it, it sort of, rev- I think it reveals, a lot of times it reveals insecurity. Yeah, um, if you find yourself, and this is just a, I think a, a, a good bit of information for anybody on the on the receiving end of this but if you find yourself feeling threatened and anxious about what you're hearing oftentimes it's because it's confronting something in you that you're not comfortable with mm-hmm. and it's actually good to wrestle with that very thing and it's not to say that just because you hear something so for instance if you can't articulate that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of the father of the same essence um, and not a lesser created being, right? If you hear that he's some lesser created being and that suddenly offends you, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily wrong. It just means that you need to figure out how to articulate that yeah, in a way yeah, that's, yeah. that's godly. So so it's, he's, no one here is saying just because you've heard something, you're insecure because you don't know what you're talking about and you're probably wrong. That's actually too far. We're just saying that you might not be able to articulate something. It makes you uncomfortable. Um, yeah, there's go different. Read a, go there's, read a book. There's difference, of, there's difference between something that's true and something that you've actually wrestled and know that's true. Sure. So yeah, ten four. That's I, I when you talked about earlier about being uh, feeling duped. Uh, that's how I felt about the gifts. I've been doing you know evangelism with Young Life and uh, love Young Life as an organization, but um, but in church I'd been taught that the gifts weren't for today, and suddenly I'm like believing that they are. I'm going, wow, well, how come they never showed me this in evangelism one hundred one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the predominant way people came to the faith was through some sort of supernatural thing, and I don't know, just that's how I, I could I could relate in that sense. Yeah, Jordan, give us a basis for um, so, annihilationism. So, yeah. Um, conditionalism. Conditionalism. I'm so sorry. I'll walk through a few things, and then I'm going <laughs> to hit a lot of scriptures quickly. And 
obviously we won't have time to wrestle through all of these scriptures today because we're, we're covering like the whole of scripture on a on a very big subject and we'll try to obviously take some time to but i'm going to run through them as quickly before i do that let me talk about quickly some major people um if you read church fathers in my opinion they they espouse a view uh, of that leans to that seems like conditionalism that's that's the way i read it you know and having read a lot of the first you know first and second century church fathers um there's a lot of major people and i can't cover all of them and as far as like modern um you know you guys like ff F. bruce john stott who were absolute giants in the 20th century um some of the most significant theologians um you know nt wright has certainly been one to not you know sort of fit in a similar camp um so you know martin luther you know, was a conditionalist that He's John popular. Calvin. popular. I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that John Calvin really opposed that. For those of you Pentecostal people, uh, Charles Parham was also a conditionalist. So, so like if you go throughout the ages, there's a lot of really significant theologians that had the view that fits in line with this. One one of the things that happened in the um, in the early, I think about third century, maybe like early third century, was this guy named Tertullian come along, who's like kind remotely of remotely like popular yes. Aristotle. In the church, name and fun to say. He, he was sort of the first person to articulate this idea of like, of course, he, he basically says explicitly, you know, when Jesus says that man will die, surely we we don't think he literally means die. He he, you know, because man has an immortal soul. Because all of those philosophers believe that man was an immortal soul. It's only been in the last hundred years that there's been sort of an academic agreement that man is not immortal, mm -hmm. but we've had this lingering, you know, this view of, of torment of hell that, that has, I think hung in there with that, um, with that particular view. But let me, let me talk about the word briefly, the word hell, um, the word hell is, is Gehenna. And, um, we already have a conception of what that word means when we come to the scriptures. When we come to the scriptures and we look at them at the um, at the pro proclamations of the end of the wicked, the metaphors that are in you know the prophets, the predictions, the um, you know the word hell itself, we already we're already carrying all this stuff with us to the table, and it's it, helpful much as we can to lay that down. The word uh, Gehenna is mentioned, I think, thirteen times by Jesus in the Gospels. And one time, I believe in the book of James, to an exclusively Hebrew audience. So the reason that's important to understand is that Gehenna is a specific valley um, that that Hebrews would have known about. First of all, it was originally like think mentioned in the prophets was the Valley of Hinnon, where they had thrown a lot of bones that had been, you know, from a you know this destruction. And but at that time, it was a place where they would throw garbage and garbage would be burned. Mm -hmm. And so like they would throw things away so that so that it would get out of kind of like, you know, we're, you know they had to get rid of it. They had to, you know, it not just to pile up. Annihilate it. Yes. That that is that it so, needed to <laughs> cease to exist. So understand that Paul uh you know you, the the that word is not, it's not used in the Old Testament. Obviously. And it's not used at any time that's to an audience that would be non-Jewish. So, so we have a conception of what Gehenna is, but there was there's a real conception of what it is that was in the Hebrew mind. And so when we talk, I'm going to go to the Old Testament first, and and let me uh, mention this briefly. Uh, a lot of the bulk of my material comes from Doctor Fudge, and he, you know, he's since passed on um, to be with the Lord, and was was really impact on my life. But he did such a good work that I'm. Got to give credit where credit's due. A lot of this is from him. So we're going to look at the Old Testament. And a lot of people, as Dr. Fudge would say, will say, well, we'll start with the Old Testament when we talk about hell. Well, the Old Testament doesn't mention hell. It has it, it that's not the right question. What it does, what it does talk about, though, is the end of the wicked. And there's lots and lots and lots of texts about the end of the wicked. So we will we'll read through those. Um, I will break this up briefly into three categories. Uh, you know, that of the Hebrew Bible, you know, the writings, the Torah, and the prophets. And what, I, what I'll what i kind of do in working to the New Testament is we'll do the kind of the, the weaker text and end at the stronger ones. So starting with the writings, um, I'll read a few Psalms. And of course, we know the Psalms are poetry, so we can't like take this to the, you know, the literal bank and say, this is the way it is. But they do give us what I would say are principles for the idea of what is, what does the scriptures tell us about the end of the wicked? So let me just read a couple real quick. Psalm 1-6 says, 
For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Um, Psalm 2.9 says, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. You know, once again, these are, these are, you know, this isn't, can't build our whole case on this, but these are principles where we see this painted idea of the way, the wickedness leads to destruction. Psalm 37, um, it says in verse one through two, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious because of those who do wrong for they like the grass will soon wither like green plants. They will soon die away. Verse nine in there says for those who are evil will be destroyed. Verse 10 says a little while and the wicked will be no more. You will, though you will look for them, they will not be found. And so there's probably, I think, somewhere like 30, 40 pictures like this in Psalms that give us this, this idea of the end of the wicked is, are going to be destroyed. Some of them are pictures. Some of them are more specific, like words like destruction. Let me jump to the Torah. Um, in the Torah, what, what I think we have are prototypes of God's judgment on the end of the wicked. And I'll explain to you why I believe that they are prototypes. Um, the first one is, is the flood. So in there's a lot of texts that reaffirm this, but in Second Peter three five through six, I'm going to say this: it says, "But they deliberately, uh, but they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water by water, and by this by these waters also of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly." So, so this is a passage that says. Here's how the old earth was destroyed. It was destroyed by flood. And th- in the same way, this is the way that judge God's judgment. So, so it's pointing to this as a prototype. Well, what happens in the flood? Everybody's wiped out, but, but those that are pure. So let's look at a second prototype in the Torah. And I'm trying to move, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of content. There's a lot, of, a lot of content. So Jude 7, in a similar way, it, it says that... Um, you know, that in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion, and they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Like, this is like even more specific. So when we say, you know, fire and brimstone, well, what happens when God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah? They're destroyed. They're wiped out. They don't, tor- they're not tormented forever. And both this passage in Second Peter with the flood, and even more explicitly, this passage in Jude says, this is what judgment is like. It will be like the flood that destroys. It will be like Sodom and Gomorrah that's, that's wiped out. N- once again, no hint of the idea of torment. You have, you have uh, the appeal of they'll be destroyed. So let me look at some predictions. So we, we've gone through briefly principles, prototypes, and then I'll go through some predictions. I'm going to read one uh so I have one on here that I didn't include. I'll pull that one up too. I'll read one psalm, and that's a that is uh, even though it's a psalm, it, it is a prophetic prediction. The reason I'm reading it is it's the most quoted scripture in the New Testament um, of the Old Testament, and so and then I'll read a passage from Isaiah, and if we can do a passage from Malachi, I'll look for that one. Um, in Psalm 110. You know, this is the passage that says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then it goes on in verse five and six to say, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush the kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. So this is talking specifically about the day of wrath, about the day of wrath that's promised when, when we're all brought before God. It says that he will raise them up, heaping up the dead, crushing uh, the rulers of the whole earth. We can jump to Isaiah 66, verse 24, which is like the most quoted uh, text on the subject. It says, and they will go out and and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die, or the fire that burns them will not be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. So let's take a moment on this one. Look, you you have you have dead bodies. So you don't have bodies that um, are being tormented. You have dead bodies. And what it what it says here is says the fire that burns them will not be quenched. Well, what? What does an unquenching fire do to everything in its past? It burns it up. And so then you have a worm 
um, that that will not die. You know, this is once again like when you look at when you look at Isaiah, you look at text in Revelation. These these are metaphors. These are pictures of. I, I don't think there's literally going to be an actual worm crawling around eating people. But the picture here is you've got a fire that's not going to be quenched and a worm that will not be die and, until everything is consumed. These these um, these dead bodies who have rebelled against me. And so, um, have you heard the argument that the the worm is the soul of the person? Um, I know that, that that I've I've heard it at least said yeah, by so some that, people. That's actually interesting. I, I was going to bring this up later, but I I actually came to do a pretty. I, I read every scripture in the Bible that really had to do with the end of the wicked, and I could never find one single scripture. I'll be interested. I I never found a single scripture that explicitly stated anything remotely similar to eternal conscious torment, which I know is just staggering to hear sure. people say. But that's just the way that I approach it. What I will say is, if we might be able to pull this up on the show, but that what you just espouse actually at the very end of Judith, which is a book in the Apocrypha. Oh, how nice. Uh, the, this is almost this exact I have an imagery. Aunt named Judith. The, almost this exact imagery in Isaiah is used, but but it actually more describes what you're saying. So, and it explicitly does state. So I will say this, while I didn't ever find a scripture in the in the Bible that you know that I read that, that says eternal constraint, I did I did find for those of you that are Catholic in the Apocrypha, at the very, I think it's the last verse of Judith, you have a text that basically uses this exact imagery and does say that this worm is going to be within them, eating them forever and ever, and they will be tormented. So, so on some on some level, you, you might be able to say that, like take the Heiser approach, that literature of that day around that time could use the, the phrase of a worm to suggest... <laughs> Of the soul is that was that a popular? Well, no. Um, I, the the all of the other intertestamental literature and the apocrypha, all the other texts that talk about the end of the wicked, except for that one, talk about destruction, final destruction. Wait, you're saying so, in the apocrypha, there's only one reference yeah, to eternal ref- conscious torment, yeah, versus yeah. the others that are all just and they have such a developed purgatory. That's yeah, so odd. so so you you could you could base a little bit of an argument there. I think if you're even going to the apocrypha, that I don't think that. Personally, I've read the text. We and don't, I don't use the Apocrypha to, to create <laughs> doctrine on Remnant ne- Radio. Neither do I. Nor so. do we encourage anyone out there. <laughs> well, I, just I was thought, just curious. No, I thought I thought that I would I would bring it up. And to your point, like I don't know that I've heard that argument made about Isaiah. Hmm. But but you know the rule of uh, the rule of hermeneutics is you know we interpret the you know the obscure by the plain, mm-hmm. you know the few by the many. I think you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of texts that essentially say the end of the wicked will be death, destruction, some sort of, you know, at the beginning, right at the beginning of Genesis, right at the end of Revelation, all throughout. And so let me let me jump into yeah, the jump, New, jump New Testament text. So now we're getting into Gehenna. I'm going to read a few texts. I didn't intentionally do this. They're all from Matthew. And then I'm going to read the epistles. And I'm just... just- I'm chomping at the bit with a couple of questions. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I'm holding on to them, and I've got viewers that are also yeah, asking some questions, we'll, too. We'll blow through it, and then we'll ask the questions. Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Like, man, that is um, Matthew 25. 46, this is the, the sheep and goats, you know, you, you took care of, you know, you took care of the, uh, at the, of the least of these, so, you know, you did it to me. And at the end of this text, um, this is one that actually a lot of traditionalists use as an argument. It's actually like when I read a lot of rebuttals, this was the number one. And I just, I've not seen it. Yeah. It says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So let's talk about that word, eternal punishment. Like there you go. That's one a, of the questions. A, a punishment um, could be to be locked up. Mm-hmm. A punishment could be to be tormented. A capital punishment is a punishment. And so like, once again here, you, this is a punishment of eternal consequence. You don't have spelled out, you don't have this, this explicit spelled out thing of eternal conscious torment. So even though that might be in our minds, we have to look to the rest of Scripture and see, can we insert that idea in here? And I think, like I said, I think you have to find it in other texts. So if, if there was a punishment, right? So a guy comes in, he steals some food, uh, and as is common in some cultures, you chop off a, ha- a hand, right? Yeah. That's not just a one-time punishment. That is a continual punishment. He is he is receiving regularly the the retribution for his actions. Your, your example would be death 
is a continual retribution. It's eternal in its nature. If you if you cease to be, that is an eternal punishment, not a temporal punishment. So you say some have received eternal life, others have received eternal uh, uh, punishment. Yeah. That eternal punishment can be a ceasing of existence. Yeah, so um, let me keep going. Matthew 13, 40 through 43, and I think this gets even stronger in the epistles. Um it says, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the burning f- furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the kingdom of their father. Whoever's ears, let them hear. So this is another one that people always bring up, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me bring you enough, another text in the Bible that talks about gnashing of teeth. And in, 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 uh, when Stephen is being persecuted in Acts 7, um, and he's speaking with profound wisdom, he, he's, it says this in Acts 7, 54. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. So gnashing your teeth is not something you do when you're in pain. Gnashing your teeth is something you do when you're angry and you grit your jaw. And so like even – fortunately, it's actually in the Bible here. That, yeah, the that, text explains it. And so like a lot of people will go, what about the weeping and gnashing of teeth? I'm like, if you get raised up before the king of glory and you're standing before the judgment seat of God and mm-hmm. he commits you away from his presence to be destroyed in the lake of fire and you're not going to spend eternity with him, like it's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're going to be and, angry people and sad people. Yeah. So that that to me, it's it's completely like – not contextual. And, and fortunately, we have scripture within the scripture to be able to point to us what is what culturally is going on there. So let's go to this is we'll go to the epistles. That that passage also doesn't imply that it's eternal. It's just saying this is going to be experienced, even if it was just incredibly painful where there's weeping and gnashing. I mean, who yeah. knows? Um, but it doesn't say eternal there. So let me just keep blowing through scriptures here. And I know this is we're going quick, but Galatians 6, 8, this is when it gets real clear. Whoever sows to please their flesh, whoever sows to please their flesh, from flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. James four twelve, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you to judge your neighbor. First Corinthians three seventeen, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Not, not eternally torment him. He will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you're that temple. Second Thessalonians one seven through nine says, and give relief to the to, and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Here, and he goes on to say, they will be punished with everlasting destruction. And shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Once again, not being tormented forever. And here, here's what R.F. Weymouth says. He says, My mind fails to conceive a grosser misinterpretation of language than the five or six strongest words with the, which the Greek tongue possesses to signify destroy, destruction, or destruction are explained to mean maintaining an everlasting but wretched existence. To translate black as white is nothing to this. So that's intense. Uh, Michael, you have any questions from our viewers? I've got a few from the viewers and I got a couple of my own. So, uh, first off, uh, we've got one friend on the show. I'd like to know where you get such tight t-shirts. <laughs> that's messed up. That's, that's my buddy, Ryan. I think I'd like to know as well. Yeah. They're just uh, gorgeous on you. I think. Yeah, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. More serious. Um, so we, I, two, two main ones come to mind. I think some of our view on hell, eternal to conscious torment, that that view, and I say our, I mean like traditional, everybody's has this in mind. Now, I'm going to say this, two, two caveats on this. I think most people get their theology about heaven and hell and the afterlife in general from television, which is not a good place to do theology. Speaking, television is not... Speaking uh, of good place. Or, yeah. No, or Dante's Inferno. Yeah. yeah, or Dante's Inferno, which, which <laughs> most people, I would say, don't read. Um, but biblically like speaking, I think one view that... that uh, one scripture that most people get a view from happens to to do with the parable about Lazarus. Yep. So do you want to explain that one? Oh, we yep. got someone calling in real quick. I, I wrote that um, down as a text. Can we pull that one up? I think that is in Luke 16. Hello? 
That is also one of the co- the common. Let's pull this up. I don't have it written down, but um, oh. let's read it. Do you want to read the whole thing, or do you want to? Hey, what's your question? Who am I talking to? Sorry, he's he's, he's talking to the the viewer as we're getting that call prepped. Would you like me to read? Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a long one, okay, but we'll, we'll read it. Uh, one second, and then. Uh, we'll do you have another question? question you can you can read through that. Okay. and we'll, we'll prep that next. There was a rich man. Who, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came for the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his fingers in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all this, between you, between us and you is a great chasm and been set in place so that those who want to go from here to to you cannot, nor anyone can cross of, over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, Then they have Moses and prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but, I ha- but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Okay. That was a long, long, long thing. Let's let's say a couple things about this text. I'll start by saying this. What the conditionalist perspective does not say is that there cannot be torment. It says that there won't be eternal conscious torment. At, at, very, at very, very least, I'll tell you why I don't think this, you know, at very, very least, this scripture is talking about a, a man who is in this place as people are living on the earth. Final judgment day has not happened. Final day of wrath has not happened. God has not proclaimed his, you know, his final judgment on humanity. So this is, this is in a moment of where we still have our normal existence on earth. So at the very least, you can say this man, that he's talking about, um, a situation where somebody may be in torment, um, or it says in the in the story here that they're in torment, but but he hasn't reached his final judgment. So that's the first thing. Eternal conscious torment is not in any way spelled out in this torment is. So second thing is this is clearly a parable. And so it's it's hard to um, I don't know that I can fully dig into all of the potential meanings of this parable. I can say it. I can say at very least that this doesn't expel out eternal conscious torment, and I actually think that it's possible that some people will experience torment because you do have, you know, you have this sort of for these it will be worse, and for these it will be less. So there's and varying so, degrees yeah, of. I definitely think there are varying degrees of God's judgment. I'm just not going to proclaim. But at the end his of the judgment, day, yeah, I'm not going to proclaim on his judgment what it doesn't say, and what I don't think it says is eternal conscious torment. It's good. So, hey. But, Let's jump over to your caller. Yep. Yes. Uh, are you are you on the on the air with us, caller? Can we hear you? Yes, yes, I am. Can Great. you tell us your name and your question? Uh, my name is Adam, and I was calling about the Gehenna thing. But uh, first of all, the the parable about the rich man Lazarus. Uh, I, from what I've heard, um, Jesus spoke in parables all the time, and you you see clearly, you know, before he was taken captured captured for his crucifixion, that he uh, his Disciples said, you know, this is right now, this is the first time you ever, you know, spoke plainly to us. He clearly says that before he's taken his crucifixion. So I think you can't take the flames and all that stuff literal. I'm, I, I agree with Jordan on the. What's your question? Because I'm going to have to ask Jordan uh, that because he can't hear you. you only our. Uh, uh, oh, our sorry. I wish you. I could okay, hear you. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Uh, back at Hannah, uh, Jesus, he His was preaching to the Jewish people, and a lot of people. Uh, look at this as him warning the uh, Jews of the impending doom of 70 AD when the temple was destroyed by Rome. Uh, so if you could get into that, I think that's one of the prevailing views of what that really means. Yeah, so so he may be talking about, um, you know, what is known as partial preterism, 
Um, I like I'm not an expert on that. I'm familiar with the concept of both full preterism, which I think was sort of refuted as heresy, and partial preterism, which um, you know, means that's that some eschatol- of the prophecies yeah, have, yeah, that took place at 70 AD. Yeah, we're waiting for the return of Jesus, and and so that that that's that is very well possible. I just I I'm trying to be honest about my what uh, you know and what you don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, it's good. It's good. It's good thoughts. Very well, maybe. I just this is a subject I've studied out more more so than the particulars of es- I have spent some time on eschatology. I'm just very confused on the subject right now. Adam, I'm sorry. It sounds like you may not have an answer for you. <laughs> yeah, sorry to not address that very well, but it's a good question. I just wanted to put that out there because yeah, that's uh, no. another version I've heard of. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, thanks for your call. And if you guys are watching right now, you can call in at the number listed there at the bottom of the screen. It's 214-233-6292. While, the, while they're calling in, let me read some of the texts that people will regularly use. Well, to. let me let me ask another question. And this has been, you know, um, I remember uh, sitting in on Jack Deere teaching on this and he was he was kind of debunking uh, universalism and uh, in, in, in propo- proposition to eternal conscious torment. But he would say, you know, for those who would say that hell doesn't exist, and, and again, I don't, I, I don't think that's necessary. I don't know if he was going eternal conscious torment, but he was at least saying that hell exists and that it is real and that there is torment, which um, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm now like I kind of get what you're saying. Hell exists, but it may not be an eternal place. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the next question I had had to do with when Jesus says it would have been worse for this person to never have been born. And I, I think I can answer my own question now, yeah. but for the sake of our viewers, I still think it would be nice for you to answer no, that one. I think it, I, I like, actually, it's a really, I'm glad you asked the question because for me, I, I want to be honest in my approach to anything, especially the Bible, but anything. And as much as we would like to make it all no judgment, no whatever, it's pretty hard to, it's pretty plain to see that there is judgment, that there is, that a part of God's expression of goodness and love and mercy is that he will judge those things that are wicked as wrong. And he'll, and the end picture of, of revelation, the end picture we have is God finally victorious over all evil, which always threw me off of, well, but actually all these people who are evil are going to be existing forever and ever and God's justice won't be satisfied. But that's another point. But Dang. but but like that's more of my philosophical side saying like how is God, you know, but I do think it would be worse. Like if you stand before God in heaven and I don't presume to know what all punishments he could dole out, but what it will end is final destruction. I do think that it's absolutely worse if you, you know, for you not have been born, you know, it'd been better for you not to be born. I think that that fits in that. Isn't there a similar context to, to the scriptures that say um, you better chop your hand off now? And it's certainly hyperbole yeah. uh, that have your 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 body, your hand cu- be caught, cast into eternal flames. Yeah. And, and let me say clearly, I, I don't know, like hell, lake of fire may be eternal as a as an agent of purify. Like, I just don't think that people are eternal. Mm. And so let me let me get into that. Actually, Revelation 20, 7 through 10 says this, and this is one that a lot of people bring up. When the thousand years is over, Satan will be, and let me just start before I read this. When we read Revelation, understand that every scholar agrees that it's the hardest, the hardest book to, to interpret. So, but we'll, we'll do this. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations, the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them for battle in a number. They are like the sand of this, on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, so this is the one mention torment day and night forever and ever but it's explicitly exclusive to three beings to to satan to the false prophet and to the beast and so a lot of people will say well, what about revelation 2020 you know but but this is explicitly placed upon three beings now like this is a really confusing text so like i don't like i don't necessarily have this dis- decided view that these three beings will be tormented forever and ever but but at the very least, this is narrowed to those three. Um, so, I, so just a question, because there is implication that mankind will get thrown in the same place where those beings are thrown. 
Um, and I don't think man's immortal. But he's saying that those beings are immortal. So and therefore, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they are being eternally consciously tormented because they are immortal. But man does not receive immortality unless Until, they have faith in Christ yeah. Jesus and they receive that eternal life. And let, and let me say this. That is interesting. Let me, let me say this about this scripture. What I'm not saying is I don't know what the scripture says. Well, I know it doesn't say is that people will be tormented forever and ever. Yeah. Like, so let me just say, I'm you've not, been narrowing it all. I mean, that's the the route you've been taking this yeah, whole time. I'm, is you're I'm, saying I'm saying making one case. I'm not like I'm trying to be open on what could happen, but saying that Scripture does not say mm-hmm. it's just an idea that we have embedded in our conscious in our conscious that is overlaid into all the texts. So so quickly for those who are watching, we've only got ten minutes left in the program. If you want to have uh, Jordan come back on the show and do a part two on hell, I want you to go ahead into the comment section and say have Jordan back on. Uh, you can do it here in the live chat, but I'd prefer it if you could do it in the comment section. It's not the live chat section. Uh, that way we know kind of how to keep a head count because these live chats go away eventually. So if you and do that, that'd be super helpful. And also I'm uh, for those of you who are mentioning a couple of different people that would be good for the same topic. One of them was James D. Martin. Martin, either of you familiar with him? No. Okay, well, if, if you guys, if you want me to pay attention to that person, send me the contact. And also, uh, John Walton, apparently, is another good uh, will, voice on the topic. I will say I would highly suggest a lot of my material was, you know, from a scholarly level, um, Dr. Fudge is regarded as the- Isn't the, he deceased? I can't have is. him on. Yeah. I, no, I'm, I'm going to make a point. Okay, like, got that it. He's the, he, he wrote the foremost <laughs> work on this. Um, I'll tell you a little tiny story. I, I I had this personal relationship with him and knew none of his family because we just talked over Skype and he would just he would sit there. We'd talk theology and he would just weep talking about his love for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I I listened to all the comments roll in when he passed and his his daughters were saying um, that they would play Bible trivia with their dad where they would just throw random Bible verses at him in the minivan when they were driving and he would. Uh, he would just quote like ninety nine percent of the time. He'd be able to quote the exact scripture. Like, mm. and so, so like, just saying that. Like, I would highly suggest watch his one hour l- lecture. Let me get one. You think he's the authority in this space? In your opinion? Uh, yeah, I think so. And he also doesn't appeal like an authority. He appeals very humble. Sure. And so, so yeah. Uh, let me let me go one more that people typically. I, I so I took all the. I tried to include of the rebuttals, the strongest rebuttals of tra- traditionalism. I tried to include the most quoted scriptures in my talk here from the rebuttal side. This is another one that's included in the top five of rebuttal scriptures. Revelation 14, it says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead and on their head, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out in full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day and night for those who worship the beast and image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. So this is directly referring to a an imagery that's used in Isaiah 34. You can look it up verse 10, but but there's a judgment that's being uh, put, you know, Revelation uses lots of Isaiah and you know, a lot of imagery being put over a city. And it says the the smoke of the destruction of the city will rise forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. And, or not forever and ever, but just forever. And w- we know that the smoke doesn't literally rise forever. It's it's a metaphor saying it, they got wiped out real bad. Um, but, but here, once again, at very least, even if you want to actually say there's going to be smoke rising up into the eternal cosmos and there you know once again the torment is not explicitly stated here to be to be forever it doesn't the say their screams will rise no, no, but it, forever it, before yeah, the throne it, it says smoke will yeah, rise smoke, smoke so will even rise. if you want to take it hyper literally yeah, it doesn't which i think it's the a, case. it's a completely mis- mistake to take this hyper literally but if you want to take it hyper literally it still does not make the taste case of eternal torment so he's very gracious i've got a viewer asking this question i'm curious about this myself because uh so you would say that eternal life immortality no longer exists for mankind who uh after the garden yes absolutely i think that eternal life is real clear in scripture and this this i can say it was at the beginning of the presentation for those who weren't yeah and at an academic level this is pretty much in the last hundred years has i don't know that there's universal agreement but but i've listened to lots and lots of rebuttals and those who re, who stand on the traditionalist view? They now say that God's presence exists in the fire 
preserving people because they don't have immortal life, preserving people so that they may be tormented. So, so like, yes, I am saying that there's not like there, this is sort of a universally agreed upon thing. And I think it's part of, it was, it's one of the, I would say false doctrines that, that carried this, this doctrine of hell along. So, right. So, um, it just, it, we've got six minutes in summation before we wrap it up. If you have time for an extra question online that's been asked, I know quite a few of the viewers were, were asking questions eschatologically about the beast, the false prophet. Man. Aren't they men? Aren't they people? They said, are they human? Yeah, aren't they human? Like, uh, the, the false prophet's a human, right? And if the false prophet's being cast into hell and being in tor- tormented forever, wouldn't that make the case that at least one human is being consciously tormented <laughs> I guess, forever? I guess, I guess you can make that argument. Once again, I don't, I, I think that that particular text has the most, this is not even, this is say, I can say, say this safely. There's the most debate around what this text means across the board of maybe any text in all of scripture. Wow. You know, so when you look at this whole, you know, you have pre-millennials, post-millennials, all millennials. So I'm not saying what I think this means. What I am saying, if you want to take it literally, there are only three beings that will be tormented, you know, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm not saying that I think that they will be tormented forever and ever. I'm just saying, if you want to take it that way, that's still exclusive be. to those three. Absolutely. Uh, it makes sense. Yeah. You, uh, to reach our, out. Yeah. We're just, if you guys are reaching out to us, you want to contact us, then you can email Hit us, us up at the at, website. Yeah. That'd be the best way. It's yeah, the contact, uh, the remnant radio.com uh, under the contact page. Uh, that'll send us an email. Uh, or if you're not getting a response, you can go straight to my email, josh.remnantradio at gmail.com. So, so josh.remnantradio. I'm just curious. So I, having a soul or a spirit that would not necessitate that that thing goes on forever. Yeah, you, that's, no, that's pretty well, Pluto-esque, right? Yeah, that's, that's very Greek mythology. I hundred percent believe that we have. What I, I don't. You're not like, saying we don't have a non-corporeal no, part of us. You're just no. saying that that non-corporeal no, part of us is not eternal. Im- yeah, we have a created image God. We have a soul, spirit, whatever language you want to use. I know that there's people that are dichotomy, trichotomy. Dich- yeah, yeah, I don't know. You know, like I try to be undecided where I don't have an opinion. And I don't he's have he's an otomy for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <Anatomy. laughs> don't know. <laughs> Die, try, you know, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> for f- we have that, whatever that is, the breath of God in us. Yeah. But I think that it's real clear, like right out of the gate, that eternal life, that component was taken. Those who believe in, you know, well, those who, uh, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Those who don't believe in him are already condemned. Like there's something inherent yeah, eternal life. They're, they're, inherit eternal life. So that means we don't have it. It's something we hope to possess one day. Yeah, so let me, I'll finish with this. I will say that I think this is darn near close I would say that conditionalism as a whole is darn near close to the most to the most central narrative of Scripture, that in God and Christ in righteousness we have eternal life, and that in wickedness we have destruction. I I think it's as close to the central piece of the narrative, and that in my opinion I don't think it matters to your salvation what you believe about hell. Like it doesn't matter. This to is an in-house community. discussion. Yeah, it it doesn't matter. But I think we are, in my opinion significantly distorting the actual gospel so when we proclaim. So so people, some people will say to me, and this is where I stand, and I, I say this with humility, but some people will say to me, you know, yeah, conditionalism, you know, it's either that or eternal conscious torment. And I do not find eternal conscious torment to be biblically tenable for me in any way. And I think it robs from one of the most central narratives of scripture and distorts our view of God. Yeah. So, so, um, I, I just never considered this as an alternative that hell could still be a part of it, but it's a temporary part of it. Yeah. Judgment, um, greater is, and lesser punishment. And how do you have, how do you have greater and lesser punishment if everyone's getting tormented? Forever? Well, I definitely want to read have victory in uh, Jesus. If everybody's still being tormented forever, I definitely want to read uh fudge's book. And, and if we can continue the conversation, I, I would like that a lot. Excellent. Yeah. If you guys want to hear Jordan's uh, take on a part two, if you have any specific questions, leave them in the comment section as we will do our best to answer those questions. And if we don't do them in the comment section, just I will reply, we'll do this in part two. Uh, because I'm, I'm thinking this is going to be a highly viewed episode and that people are going to want follow up episodes coming up after this. Jordan, you'd, you'd be interested in doing something like that? Absolutely. Cool. Be blessed. Thank you guys so much for watching. Michael, hey, any, any last thing, thoughts? Uh, we, we are looking for people to donate. We want to upgrade our cameras. We've got a lot we'd like to do with the studio. So if you're interested in, in giving to help 
help this uh, uh, podcast continue on and, and all of that, please, please check us out on the webpage. Uh, we've also got a series online on prophecy and hearing God. Uh, that's a paid content, so please go and, and it's like graphic right hit that see. up. Um, yeah, that's it. Thank that's you the website for those in the you image, the radio.com there at the bottom. Thank, thank you guys for letting me come on. I appreciate it. No, absolutely, man. It was, man. It was our honor. We, we enjoyed it. It was, it was a fun conversation. So, uh, yeah, everybody, Monday night, 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time every week, we have a plurality of guests that we have coming on. The very next person that we have coming on is um, Watermark, uh, Todd Wagner. No, is coming is that, on. That's going to be uh, August 22nd, I believe. No, that's, is that that's the next guest? That's a couple no, weeks. No, next week is uh, 19th from today, right? Yeah. Yeah, so 19th, uh, we're looking at having possibly Bach come on the show. Oh, possibly uh, the Manhood and Womanhood Foundation that um, Grudem set up. They're sending their president over. That, that's this not. That's, that's this very next possible Monday. the next okay. Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun stuff. So you guys uh, check it out next week, Monday night, 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Be blessed. I want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.